1: This is a hockey podcast about reaching your potential. Hello there and welcome back to Up My Hockey with Jason Podolin and today we have Jared Bednar, the head coach of the Colorado Avalanche on the program and I couldn't be happier to interview Bedzie. Um Jared and I go way back to 1991-1992 season in Spokane where I stepped foot in the WHL for the first time and and he was a 19-year-old a in that league. And, and he really took me under his wing. He was somebody that uh, we just kind of connected with. And although we didn't play together long, um, Jared, Jared was somebody that, that left an impression on me. And, and he went through his career, which we cover, a, a nine-year professional career. We talk about his very first year of pro down in the East Coast Hockey League, playing for the Huntington Blizzard. Uh, a brand new team there where he was astounding minus 82 on the season and uh, we talk about his thought process there as being a player and 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 what he thought his trajectory was going to be to become uh, to become an NHL player and uh, and so we chronicle that quite well and and his championship there as a player and winning the Kelly Cup his uh, his up and downs to the AHL and the IHL and then his decision to become a coach Uh, back in South Carolina where he spent the majority of his playing career and uh, Jared is just so approachable he's so easygoing Uh, for a guy who leads an NHL organization as well as he does there is not an ounce of pretentiousness with him and I think that comes through loud and clear with this interview he 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 is really transparent he talks about that first season in colorado which was one of the most dismal seasons in nhl history uh to be to be a part of as a as a first year nhl coach talked about what it was like to to work through that and now to be a part of an organization that has grown uh, with him to to be one of the perennial Stanley Cup favorites and uh, and looking forward to this year to seeing what they can do in the in the Stanley Cup playoffs when they when they start back up again. So this was an amazing interview. Uh, I really hope that you enjoyed as much as I did. Uh, to be able to talk uh, as candidly as Jared did about his career as a player and and his thought process as a coach and and what his philosophies are uh, with the Colorado avalanche was an absolute privilege and uh, and I thank him for being here but without further ado, I bring you mr. Jared bedner all right today we are have an amazing guest, uh, old teammate of mine from Geez, way back in '92, um, crossed past there, and uh, and now head coach of the Colorado Avalanche. And Jared Bender, thanks so much for joining us here in Up My Hockey.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me, Pods. Good to be on.
1: Yeah, no worries, man. Um, so it's so fun. Like one of the best things I like about this, uh, Betsy is digging into guys that, you know, I've known or played with or whatever. And like doing the research, just kind of see what happens. Right. Because you I mean you, your, your rap sheet looks similar to mine. You I mean a lot of places played as a player, you know, a lot of places played as a coach, you cross paths with all these people. It's impossible to keep up with all the guys that your buddies with, you know, and then you go back and look and it's like, holy smokes, man. This guy's been a lot of places and, and, and played with a lot of guys that I know. So um, I wouldn't mind starting just, man, with like starting with you as a player, you know, like uh, everyone knows you as a coach, but I obviously knew you as a player and a lot of guys knew you as a player. Um, t- talk about like Yorkton, Saskatchewan and getting into the WHL there and starting with the Blades. How, how, did, how did that all start for you?
0: Yeah, so, well, my – I guess it. I was in Yorkton for a short time. My dad was RCMP, so even as a young kid, I was moving every couple of years. Uh, so I was born in Yorkton um, and grew up mostly in Humboldt. All my minor hockey uh, career, um, you know, my dad was stationed there twice. So all my grade school, middle school, and then back again, even in high school, was mostly spent in Humboldt. Gotcha. Um, so growing up there, I just... You know the, the the team of the town or of the town was the humble Broncos, and that's kind of when I was young. I set my sights on on trying to play for them, and was watching them. You know, all through the uh, winter, you know, while we were playing games, and then head out to the arena there and watch the Broncos play. So I, that was kind of step one. And then you get a little bit older, and you start watching um, in the Western Hockey League. the The closest team for me was the Blades, and I was watching guys like. Um, you know, Kelly Chase and and Koshers and Kaminsky's, and that was kind of my era there watching those guys play and then wanted to, you know, set my sights on playing in the WHL um, as early as I could. So I ended up playing a year. Uh, I went away for triple A Midget because um, there, there wasn't a team in Humboldt. I went to Tisdale for a year and then uh, played a year for the Broncos and then made the jump to the to the Western Hockey League and kind of bounced around a little bit. I started right. my first year in Saskatoon um uh and then went back to Humboldt for a little bit and then headed out uh out west to um you know camp in Tacoma and ended up settling uh for a couple of years there in Spokane when when I was uh when I played the view and then uh my twenty year old year I bounced around a little bit too. You know how it is as a twenty year old and uh, I went from in a big trade, the medicine hat that involved a, you know a number of the teammates that came to you there, like Brian McCabe and guys like that. Yeah. I think it was a four for four or five for five yeah, deal it was a big deal and uh and then eventually ended up in in p a my final year
1: right. So wow, I mean, I didn't see, I didn't see Humboldt on there. I mean, I have to touch on, 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 you know, what the hockey world was shook by there, uh, just the, just the anniversary just passed. I mean, how, how did that crash affect you as being a guy that grew up there, played on that team? It must have had even a greater impact on you, I assume.
0: Yeah, well, you know, everyone that's you know especially people that, that played out west and you, you you know those roads and the and the bus trips and just playing junior hockey or college hockey in general when you're traveling around all players can relate to to you know what that team was going through and and you spend a lot of time on the bus and um you know that 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 was devastating that that crash and um it affected so many people that I know I have friends that, that their son was in the crash um, he survived he's in a wheelchair now and, and doing well and I've gotten to know um, you know a number of the uh, surviving players and, and family members and and uh, of, of some of the victims and it was uh, it, it you know it, it was hard it was hard for a long time I was really impressed with the way that the hockey community and the world came together to support uh, the people of of you know, the Bronco families, the town, the community, Um, you know, so I was impressed by that. I I admire the strength of of those kids. It's amazing. Like I said, I've gotten to know some of them and and they're an inspiration to all of us. It, it just incredibly strong uh, kids, and, and reaching out and 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 helping in so many different ways. And I kind of got involved and started a, a golf tournament, Humboldt Bronco Memorial Golf Tournament, there a couple of years ago, along with Brian Muns. He's a, a TSN broadcaster for the Jets and a, and a local. Uh, Girl from Humboldt Laurie lawford that I went to uh, high school with and trying to raise some money for the team and and um, you know we started some scholarships and just kind of spreading it around the community in, in memory of, of all the people that were yeah. affected and it's been it's been a humbling experience but it it's um, you know it's it, it's pretty powerful you get back there every year and and, you, and I, like I said I'm just inspired by the strength of the uh, of, you you know those families and and the kids that survived they're they're truly amazing well
1: you're a father yourself you mean i i am too and my kids are now playing and it's one thing to to be the guy in the bus you know like we've been the guy in the bus now we're we're in a scenario where you know our kids maybe could have been the one in the bus so i mean we have that double way to relate which which hits in a way more dynamic way and then for me personally um I mean, it shook me, but it shook me even more because I I played with Chris Joseph and and his son Jackson was on that bus and unfortunately didn't make it. And Jackson was running around the locker room when we were in Germany together, you know, like I had met him. And so like when you when you have a guy that you've been around and played with and respected and like and just know what he was like as a father and then to have that happen to him, like it was I mean, I'm going to I tear up just even thinking about it right now you know like it's it's crazy what those families went through and amazing Betsy that you were able to help you know i tried to help too we got i got uh chris's jersey up and jackson's jersey up in our bar in fort mcmurray um you know want to hang them there kind of forever and and we we have a little fundraiser too every year to try to in jackson's honor and you know you just try i guess the best you can right to support to support what went on there and i know those guys i mean those families will never be the same like i've talked to chris and it's, it's tough but uh, it did bring us all together i guess in a positive sense you know and i think we really appreciate what what we have and you said like the strength and those guys that were survivors survivors are such inspirations and um yeah what a what a tragedy though amazing
0: yeah it's and and some of the families like the boule fa green shirt day you know like all the things that sort of came out of it um you know a lot of people doing a lot of good after that accident so that's yeah. you know the positive that comes of it but certainly tough times um you know and, and still continue but um you know everyone's getting through it and, and making the most of it and, and reaching out trying to help the you know organ donation and, and it's just it's incredible what what some of the families and have done and, and some of the money they've raised for really good causes that's amazing
1: that's awesome you go back there i really think that's cool um when you so playing in Humboldt or even – I mean, I'm, I'm looking at your stats and, like, I always remembered you as uh, – I thought you were more of a puck moving. I mean, we never played together long. I got called up there as a 15-year-old. I played in playoffs. Um, you took me under my under your wing kind of – I don't even know if you remember really doing it, but we, we – you know, we, we, we both like cards and you just kind of made me feel comfortable. You're definitely one of those guys that uh, – that made my arrival there feel feel good and and mean by the way, thank you for that. I don't know if' I've ever thanked you for that and and maybe that was a testament of what you had to to, to move on with, but I always remembered you as, as a guy that um, was more of an offensive kind of mover and shaker, and I look at your penalty minutes and like you kind of looked like you were a fighter everywhere you went. Was that more what you rested your kind of laurels on were you were you a guy that liked to drop the gloves more than maybe put it in the
0: net um I think that was done out of necessity like you're right like I think you you kind of change and you adapt a little bit and do what you, you can to survive on certain teams or make certain teams. And, and it changed a little bit for me at, at every uh, level that I played at. So in junior, I was a little bit of a, a late bloomer, you know, like you came into the Western Hockey League at 16, right?
1: Yeah, I just um, turned 16. So at, kind of my 15-year-old year was when I first came up there with you guys. Right.
0: And I didn't, I didn't play in the Western Hockey League till I was 18. So, um, you know, I play, I had the year of, uh, SJHL under my belt and, um, you know, made the step and then went back. And, um, so, but when I was, you know, 19 or my 20 year old year, especially, uh, you know, some of the teammates we had there Valerie Bure and, and Maxine Betts and and yourself and like I got found myself in a situation where I was running a power play and um, you know just you know just simple breakout pass or dump it back to the half wall from the point and mm-hmm. and you were getting points, you know. So um as I kind of moved on in my career, I put up pretty good numbers in in junior. And as I kind of moved on in my career, I found it more and more difficult. Like I just wasn't talented enough to continue to, to put up those numbers. And I was put in some of those situations a little bit in the ECHL secondary power play turned into just more of a shutdown, um, uh, you know stay at home defenseman penalty killer tried to use my whatever puck moving ability I had just to to get us in and out of the zone and then I kind of you know fell into this group of guys in in South Carolina where I played almost my whole career you know and, and and started my coaching career there and I was really tight with those guys we were together for five six seven years and um they became my second family so you know I was a little bit of we had a number of guys but I was one of the sort of protectors of that group and took a lot of pride in that and it got me um, to the American League for a little bit it got me to the International League for a little bit and I was just more of a you know, 12 forward, six or seven D I played, you know, both forward and D at the American League and international league level. And just tried to do what I could to survive and, and uh, help the team in any way. And part of that was, was the rugged aspect of the game.
1: Interesting. So maybe let's t- talk on that a little bit. So, I mean, you, cause like you said, you bounced around a little bit, you know, uh, in junior and then, and then up at pro, like, when you're like, how was that adversity? Was did you feel like it was adversity at the time? Was it hard to kind of like go to another city, or I mean, maybe even as junior, like were you focused on that? Yeah, I want to be a pro player, and that was where you wanted to get to, and you were just prepared to kind of go through the wall to do that. Was that kind of your mindset?
0: Yeah, it was for sure. You know, once I was playing in the Western Hockey League you know how it is everyone thinks they're going to the NHL and this is, this is what's going to happen I'm going to get drafted I'm going to go to camp might play a couple of years in the minors but I'm going to work and get to the NHL well I had a different a bit of a different path you know like I said as a late bloomer uh, 20 year old year was starting to really come into my own and, and you know put up some good numbers and I had the toughness and some things that you know I, I felt like I'd be able to carve a way into playing in the NHL or American League to start and so my first year pro was it was a big wake-up call I didn't know anything about the ECHL and where I would go if I didn't go to the American League I went to American League camp didn't make it and and they said well where are you going to play and I said I have no idea I didn't have an agent I didn't have anything so the coach said well there's ECHL teams looking for players why don't you go here so I went down um, you know, played for a while, didn't have any idea I was about in Greensboro, North Carolina, West Virginia, and I'm just trying to find a team to play on. So a twenty year old kid basically driving or flying around to cities I've never heard of down south in the US. Right. <laughs> so it was that was a really strange time. Um and then I played so I played a couple of years. I, I got on this team in, in Huntington, West Virginia. I played there for a couple of years and um interesting story like uh, i ended up meeting my wife there and and we've been married now 20 years isn't M2 that crazy K, the way so that happens
1: That's so nuts, i was just right? there
0: for a couple of years right yeah. and um i was living in a i guess a duplex and i got a call one day i think the start of my third year pro and i would really grown to love west virginia and huntington the town i played in and the guys that were there my wife was you know girlfriend at the time was there and i got a call from the coach and he said hey we just traded you to uh, uh charleston south carolina to the stingrays and i and i was so i was crushed and my best friend was living with me we've been together for a couple years and uh another you know big rugged guy and and we just hit it off and and i he says can you hand the phone to dan my roommate so i had Phone to my roommate, and I thought, well, he's just going to tell him that he just traded me or whatever. And he answers the phone, and he says, "Hey, uh, we traded you uh, to South Carolina." So he goes, "All right," hangs up the phone. I was crushed, and he goes, "I guess we better get packed, and we're leaving, and we're going to drive down there." So me and my roommate head down there, and the and the rest was kind of history. I ended up like locking into South Carolina and just playing and having fun. Met a great group of guys. But my goal was always to play as a high level as I could play. Right. Just to try and push myself. And so what I did is I went to um South Carolina for a little bit. Rick vibe was my head coach. Yeah, i was gonna ask you about that. time was there. Yeah. So he so he gets me in contact. We had two affiliates, one in uh, Buffalo, which was Rochester, and one in um Toronto, which was St. John's. And uh for the baby Leafs. So he gets me to camp. I go to camp and I end up making Which the team and um, the St. John's team.
1: Oh, you went to St. John's? Yeah.
0: And it was the year Mark Hunter was there. Yeah. Um, I was there so after. We, yeah. So you like I, I, I
1: checked that out. That was playoffs, when I got traded I to Toronto from Florida and, and was with yeah. the, the big club until they didn't make the playoffs. And they sent me down for the AHL playoffs. So I was with St. John's right. there that same year you were there, but you weren't there when I was there. Cause I guess you had yeah. sent down or something.
0: Yeah, so what happened was I I, I played there and they they got, had gotten some guys like yourself and they said, like, this, and this is where you slot in our lineup. And I think we were going in to play uh, Hamilton or something the first or second round. And, and he said, hey, like, do you want to go down and play so you stay ready? And if we need you, we'll call you up. I said, yeah, like that was – that's where I felt the most at home in my career in, in, with the Stingrays, just because of the guys that I knew. And, you know, to this day, they all still – the group that I played with, most of them still live down there in Charleston where I live. And we hang out all the time. And, and I really wanted to go back and help. So I went down and um, we ended up winning the, the Kelly Cup that year. As and a player. Yeah and so what happened it uh, we got we won it on the road and I got a call and it was uh, Billy Waters I think was the was the assistant yeah. GM for you know and he called me and said okay we're playing game 6 or 7 tonight and if we win like you, you can come back up and uh I think we you guys lost to um uh, Hamilton maybe in game 7 or something yeah. so I ended up not going back up but that was home I leave to go play with the baby lease, I'd come back the next year. Um, What'd you think of the I rock, Betsy? Loved it. Yeah, absolutely loved it. Yeah, yeah I don't. Me too. I, I mean, it was just a great experience to go, you know, play a year or two, different sort of culture, and I mean, it was it was awesome. Isn't yeah. it like it's a great. whole
1: new culture? I, I tell people that. I mean, like being like from a Canada, different country. right? and being yeah. from the west coast like you would think you're in a different country um just yeah. the the way the way it is the way the people are like it was amazing i really enjoyed my time there uh had had success there the problem with being there though was that it, you were isolated nobody was watching yeah. right <laughs> yeah i mean like the, the the big club rarely came in there was no scouts ever there so you can you know everyone's looking at the score sheet i guess but it was before the time of you know, video and AHL TV and all this stuff, right? Like it was, you yeah. know, you were you were just out there. So that was as far as like getting to where you wanted to go, I'm not sure it was the best spot. But boy, the people were great. Everyone treated me great. Um still have contacts there. Actually Chris Beersford said hi. He he oh, uh, yeah, yeah yeah he sent yeah. me a text that said, say hi to Jared. So I'm um, glad to get him in the episode. But yeah no I really enjoyed my time there too. But but I want to backtrack just a bit because this this to sure. me is is funny and I'm sure I'm sure you'll have something to say about it. I was looking and I thought that that hockey DB must be wrong, right? I'm like, there's no way this is actually right. So your yeah. first year pro, you go to the AHL. Like you said, you don't have a team. You end up landing in Huntington for the Blizzard, and I yeah. saw that you were minus eighty two. <laughs> I was like, there's no way anybody's yeah. minus eighty two in a season. So I look up that team and like there was guys that were minus ninety something on that team. You had like what did I write I down.
0: Think, I think I was the year. worst. Yeah. It was, that was it. And that was what I was going. That was my first year pro. Yeah. That was the year I come out of the Western league. I'm thinking like I'm going to the NHL or at least American <laughs> league. And I went down and I try actually tried out for a team in Greensboro. I just went down there. And, um, You know, put, uh, I think uh, Maxie, our coach in Spokane the one that got me down there and knew one of the coaches and, And they just kind of had this older veteran team. The league was old. Like, that was a sort of a rough and tumble league at the time. So they had their, like, core power play guys. And then all these older guys, I come in as a 20-year-old kid. Now it's more of a developmental league, right? Right. So I get bounced to Huntington, and I'm like, yeah, I'll go. Like, I I didn't know where to go. So they said, well, Huntington's looking for players. Well, they were a new team. The league was expanding to try and – and I went in there, and it was uh, they did they just didn't have players, you know? They were picking up all the other teams' guys that got cut, which is basically meant me. And I yeah. went in there, and it was it was a tough year. Like we played, we lost sixteen one, I think three or four <laughs> games into. Uh, to uh, the team that I got cut from and I was like minus eight and I was like, Oh And like, this is, it's just devastating. I felt like, honestly, I felt like my career, everything I worked for my whole life through 20 years, I was losing it. And then, you know, miraculously, you know, things change, new coaches, new players. And the next year we made the playoffs and I started to feel at home in Huntington. And by the time that happened, I got traded to South Carolina. So it was like, that was one of those situations. How was where that though? I mean, getting,
1: we got to spend like a little more time there. Like yeah. seriously, you're 20 years old, like you're there you're getting crushed every night, it looks like, right? You're getting spanked around. Like every you must like there must have been a lot of soul searching that year of like where the hell am I? Is this where I'm supposed to be? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. The first part was like I gotta get out of here get out of here you know and you know resurrect my career save my career and then you know the, the the organization hired some good people and I didn't know like I was lost I wanted to play hockey you know and I just wanted to play at a higher level as possible that you know at that time there were some European teams that were like do you want to come over and play and, and I didn't I didn't know anything about Europe either I mean I grew up I didn't know what I didn't know so rural Saskatchewan and I didn't know anyone that had ever gone to Europe like I wanted to go to the NHL and and so I was just I didn't really have anyone to give me advice my parents didn't know they just supported whatever I was doing and knew I wanted to play and you know they hired new coaches and brought in new players and some guys that i was familiar with like from the western hockey league and i'm like these guys are good players like they can help us and and we started to go my second year and it was just one of those things where you know by the time i started feeling at home and thinking we were getting someplace i got traded which ended up being the best thing for right. myself personally for my career it's funny how you think at the time it's it's going to be a disaster it's the end of the world and then you, you you go with an open mind and things just find a way of working out it's just yeah. sticking with it and grinding it out and yeah no good for you sure. man i could
1: just imagine like you know we've all been 20 at one point and i remember my 20 year old year and i mean different league but like you know you're it's it's all new right i mean it, all of it's new and uh yeah. and then when you get into that scenario and you know the, the dash 82 that could have been like holy smokes man what's going on but so when you get did called you go- up how did that how do that work um because you have to relate to that now and I think that's maybe why why you're so successful behind the bench I mean like being a guy that uh was bounced around got traded uh knows what it's like to come into a new environment and and you know have a role you know like what did what was that like when you went to the a h l like did you know what you were what you were there to do what you what role you were supposed to fill um was was that communicated to you
0: yeah, I think it was like my first year that i went was with mark hunter and and you know he's a straight shooter and and you know he, he, it was it, it was laid out to me pretty clearly and and I was a little older too I think i was like twenty four probably third or fourth year pro already and So I was confident in what it was that I could do, even though it was a level up, you know, it was the same. I was used to playing against older players and, and guys that were in their mid twenties and that, and even the American league, I think our team was probably a little younger than the team I played on in South Carolina. Um, And, and it was, you know, this is what you're going to play fourth line wing or in the third pair D and, you gotta you're gonna have to play rugged and provide some toughness and look out for guys and and we had some good mentors on that team there and and you know they the I found the teammates is the guys that make you feel comfortable give you confidence in your role you know and and I did you know I, I was pretty sure I knew what I was supposed to do but I got better at it over my first three or four or five or six years pro. And yeah. then when I kind of lost the interest in, in as much of the rugged play, that's when I kind of got the coaching opportunity and decided to uh, to, to sort of hang them up and, and get into a new passion. You, mentioned. And, you,
1: you know, mentioned mentors. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but somebody came to mind there that, that maybe you were thinking of. Who, who, who did come to mind when you were thinking of a mentor in St. John?
0: Greg Smith
1: right yeah bird dog
0: yeah, hey? the bird dog see because what you know when you started playing a rugged role like that I thought I had it all figured out I fought a lot in junior and I did all these things and then but it basically was what are you where's the standard on what you're gonna let the other team get away with you know and I thought I had it all figured out and I went and played with some guys in the Huntington and I I was like, I guess I don't like, they just had a way stricter standard as to when you needed to step up or say something or do something on the ice. So they taught me that. And then I thought it was, you know, and, and bird dog just had this standard that was like, no one touches Odds and no one touches this guy and, and you go do something and it just kind of escalated but he gave me a lot of confidence and it was something that I needed at the time because I was trying to break into that role uh, or into that league and stay in that league and be successful and hopefully work to the NHL and and you know some of the standards that he had set for for what was acceptable and what was not acceptable and um, and Huntsie had, a, you know, he was real tough on guys and real honest and he, you know, he'd get in your face if you weren't doing it right or weren't doing what you're supposed to. There was no gray area, you know, which that really helped me kind of moving, moving forward in, in in my career and, yeah. and, and even in, into my coaching career.
1: Yeah it's mentioned you mentioned uh Smitty who who we should uh, acknowledge you know is no longer with us you know rest rest in peace yeah. bird um had a yeah. fight with with cancer there that that he didn't win but um there was definitely no gray area with with bird right like no <laughs> um and it was great i mean and it was i was fortunate i'm not i still don't know why i wish i could talk with him but he he uh for whatever reason too, he liked me. Thank God. Because I I mean, I I don't, I don't know, (laughs) I don't know why, but like it was, I was somebody that he, you know, he was fond of and would, you know, invite for lunch and stuff, you know, and obviously you still have your run-ins with him, even when you're kind of one of his guys, because he lets you know what he's thinking. But, uh, but it was interesting to be on a team with him and, and, you know, the experience that he had from the NHL and playing the role that he did and, and then really kind of, he he did embrace that role of being the elder statesman there and, and, and letting guys know, you know, how he felt um, it, yeah. y- you can be your best or how to get to that next level. And, uh,
0: and then there was, we, we had some of those other like Gila who are captain and like, we just had, they, 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 there was a good balance. Cause, Bird could be a little bit over the top, but then those other guys were really, you know, they just had a different approach, but really dialed in guys that, yeah. that kind of had a good balance to it. We had that fire and energy and, and sort of passion in, in Bird. And then we had the, the voice of reason and guys just do everything right in, 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 yeah. in our leadership group. And it was, so you kind of just study both sides and and everyone it just had a way of work and i yeah. thought it was a nathan dempsey
1: was there too you, you didn't yeah, mention dempsey. him but like what a, no,
0: exactly
1: he stands out as a great story to me too and somebody i'd love to interview here because uh just like scotty nickel i interviewed him a little while ago so scotty nickel yeah. right like didn't have a chance until 25 or maybe in 27 i think was he got his yeah. first opportunity like if anyone was destined to be a career minor leaguer like at that point it was him you know like 5'10", yeah. or 5'9", even, right? and Then ends up making the making the show and stays there for 10 years. And same thing with Demer, right? Like, he was down there, like, doing the right thing day after day, day after day, day after day. Finally, somebody recognized it, gave him a chance, and he got his games in the show and made a nice career of it. And, yeah. and um, it was
0: in Toronto, which was great. He just grinded yeah. all the time. He just kept uh, sort of refining his game. And Scotty's a great example. Because a year after I went to – Um, I ended up in Rochester with Scotty. uh, Oh, you played and That's where, after my St. John's year, I went to Rochester and then went over to the IHL for a year before I went back. And I did the same thing. I was in Roch, and I went down to South Carolina for a bit. I was back up. The only year I basically stayed away the full year was the following year when I was in Grand Rapids in the IHL, which was interesting too. It was just a little bit different league than the American League, a little older. Yeah. I think I was probably twenty six, twenty seven by the time I played there. And then uh as the IHL folded, I went back to the ECHL and finished out. Right. Yeah, I know that's uh how did you, did you get started
1: to get accustomed to I mean hockey's hockey's nice because it doesn't take long to break in usually like to a room but it but it is a different there's a social element there that that's awkward right you come to a team you don't know necessarily anyone maybe nobody There was times I didn't know like one guy I didn't have an experience with anybody and then you walk in there sometimes you're the youngest guy sometimes you're not but it's like that you know that, that's a human side of the sport that doesn't get talked about very much and like you know that comfortability within that locker room really matters how well you're going to be able to play on the ice
0: too for sure and, and that's where I think you get the, these guys uh, the right leaders and they just make you feel welcome right away and you're just kind of sitting there observing and you know do more uh watching and listening than talking and 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 you find a group that you guys are, you know, even just one or two guys that can help, you know, explain things to you and it doesn't take long and it can't take long. If you're going to be successful, you have to sort of find your, your, your role in that. And that's that, and then that comes from the coaching staff, um, and then, more importantly, the the more comfortable you are, that that comes from the players for me and and their leadership abilities and how they make you feel comfortable in the room. And, um, I've been really fortunate all the years that I played. I, I there's so many good leaders that I played with, and um, they, they were awesome at getting getting our team together. So it was. You know that you take a little bit from all those guys that you played with and you try to implement it in, in
1: in in
0: things that you do as a as a leader, whether it's a player or as as a coach
1: right so now through all that i mean through the ups and downs in the AHL and the i h l and and the championship in the e c uh h l at, at what point if if there was a point can you f- figure that like I'm, maybe I'd like to coach at some point or like starting kind of to sponge that aspect up. Um, what, was there a time for you or was it just when the career was over?
0: Yeah. So it was, um, when I went back from, um, uh, the IHL and, and started playing in South Carolina again for two or three years, uh, I started thinking about it because we, uh, Jason Fitzsimmons was our goalie. He's a Western Hockey League guy. Played Moose Jaw, and he hurt his back, and he became the assistant coach of our team in in uh, in South Carolina. So he's one of my good friends, and still lives down there. And he's the assistant coach, and I'm one of our captains and playing. And the league was changing rules and trying to get younger, and salaries were changing, and I was. I wanted to be able to say that I played my career the same way, like just kept working to go to the next level. Now I knew I wasn't going to the next level. I was still playing with all the core guys that I, that I loved and had, um, you know, uh, a lot of respect for. And as some of them started to leave and I was still playing, um, Jason Fitzsimmons got the head, head coaching job. And he asked me if I wanted to coach and, I had planned on playing for another couple of years, and, and I lost a little bit of the passion and didn't want to, like, not be doing the things I did my whole career to be successful and, and sort of change again, so I stepped away from it, started coaching, and I didn't know how, I, I thought it might just be a transition, and almost immediately, once I started coaching and recruiting players to come there, and we started having, I fell in love with it. So I was assistant coach with him for five years and then took over for two. Um we we a uh, great team. We were fortunate we won a, a championship went to the american league put in some time oh yeah whoa
1: slow down slow down so i mean that's a big that's a big like so you're 30 years old so you you decide at that point i think i got you at 30 is that right were your first your first time assistant coaching there right yeah that's it so you decide which is ironic because that's when i decided to pull the pin on on the pro career too and i kind of maybe sounds like sort of the same idea could have played more but i was just kind of not feeling it i mean and i i ended up I ended up going to Japan and and actually got a little bit of fire back and I was like, you know what? Yeah, I can still play this game. I want to play this game and I want to do it at the top level. i kind of put the NHL on the back burner and I got an opportunity to try out for Detroit with the Red Wings. Unbelievable uh, opportunity there. Babs, Babs was there, who I played with in Spokane. Ended up hurting myself, though, on, like, day three. I really, jeez, I think I, it was good. I would have had an opportunity to make that hockey team. And then from there, I was like, do I want to go to the HL again and, like, ride the bus and, you know, and, like, wait for that phone call? And, you know, because I'd kind of done that, you know, and I'm like – and for me, like, there wasn't enough – in the tank to do that right and I'm like no I think this is it you know um yeah. but for you at 30 so you jump behind the bench and do that for five years like five years is a half a decade I mean that's a long time right yeah. to, to do that and like while you're doing that like are, do you know that you said you fell in love with it like did you were you then now kind of shifted perspective from like you said you always wanted to be at the highest level when you were a player and you were working and working like were you developing your craft consciously to try and figure yeah. out how do I get somewhere else
0: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. As soon as I, like, as soon as I figured out how much I, I loved it, um, then I really started working at it, you know? And, and it's, it's what the one conscious decision I made. And it, it, I remember thinking to myself, like, okay, you didn't make the NHL as a player. Um, you're big enough. You could skate. You had some toughness, some skill. Like why? you know, and you, I, I didn't know what I didn't know in some of the training aspects. Um, like, I felt like there was more stones I could have, un, you know, turned over and maybe not as committed, wanted to party too much, you know. Like, just those things probably kept me out of the NHL. So I just made a decision, like, I wasn't going to, you you know, I was going to put my best foot forward every day and and coach hard and coach with passion and whatever, try to just do the right things by your players and all the things that you, you know, as a player that that rubbed you the wrong way, you're going to fix some things that you like, you're going to keep doing them and, and just educate myself. And and that was almost immediate. So I just started, you know, doing the best I could and, and hiring good people around me and, um, you know and then I got lucky I got some great opportunities along the way and um had that's amazing so you like,
1: during that five years like so you essentially you start off with that mental conscious choice of being like Jared Bednar 2.0 essentially right yeah. like okay we're gonna try this a little different right I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go all out here I'm all in and yeah. uh and and I just want I, I don't want to I want to talk about that five years because a lot of guys, even as players, right? And I'm sure you see that now you want to be somewhere really fast and, and we're not necessarily patient with the process, you know? So like, yeah. were, were you, you know, how, how were you with that? Was that, was that fine? Were you antsy? Were you trying to get out of there or were you comfortable with at because You knew you had some more to learn at that point and from that spot.
0: Yeah, I was really comfortable where I was at because that was home to me. I went there eight years earlier as a player, right? I had a home there, a wife, you know. I was making do financially. I got into some real estate. I had uh, my son when I was still playing. He was young. And I knew I wanted to make move, but my next step was be like, okay, I'm going to be a head coach someday, you know? And you know, make the move when need be. But five years to me, that first five years kind of flew by because you go through a year or two where you're still like, I want to play, and you're like the, you know, and then you kind of get in coach mode, and there's a transition there from playing to coach, and it doesn't come immediate. You think like a player, and, you you know, so it, it happened for me when it happened. It was probably at a good time. I had learned a lot gained responsibility every year um and uh you know the head coach got an opportunity to we and still works for the caps that was our affiliation the washington capitals and he's one of their pro scouts and still lives in charleston and kind of found what he loves to do there and i got hired as the head coach and again just really fortunate some of the players and leaders and guys that i had with me um you know you it seems like when you 're in the minors, you got to, a lot you, you put the pressure on yourself to win to get an opportunity, but I was just trying to be conscious to try and do the right things the right way with the right work ethic and keep learning and you know I tell my players when I was in the minors all the time like my job as a coach isn't just to get you to the NHL like because any there's gonna be a a lot of guys that just go for an opportunity play a couple games and get sent back like my job is to get you there and then when you get there that you have the ability and skill set and mental toughness to be able to stay and make a career out of it you know and I was using those same that same logic for me uh as a coach. Like I didn't want to go to the next level and then not be successful and end up back. Or, you know, I wanted to go and be able to be set up for success as I, as I moved on.
1: Right. So, so you get that opportunity. You have a really good year, your first year, uh, and then you win it your second year. I mean the first year you guys went pretty deep in the playoffs. You'd, you'd won the Kelly cup as a player. Um, was there a learning process through that playoffs of, of, of being the man at the helm? And getting that deep, and and was there any lessons from that first year that helped you the second year?
0: Yeah, I think it was more of, uh, see, at the ECHL level, the the you are the general manager, the coach, et cetera, et cetera. So you decide on all your player personnel, and and it was that was, no, knowing, you know, why I felt my first year, uh, we were a really good team, and I think for I, I want to say we had to. We had to play five playoff rounds to win. I think we lost in the fourth one, you know, so we'd already like clicked off some opponents and we ran in and lost to Cincinnati, which was the team that won. And their team was built differently than ours. And so we knew we needed to get better on the back end and, and in goal. And we had a dangerous group of forwards, but we just couldn't, you know, we couldn't defend them well enough because uh, they had the same type of group of forwards as we had. They, um, so we making some of those changes and just, you know, again, just trying to take steps in all the different areas of, of your coaching, just different special teams and just keep trying to learn and, and get better. And then we and then we 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 beat a really good Alaska team and, and ended up winning the just a
1: short break from this amazing conversation with Jared. And if you are enjoying the conversation, if you've enjoyed past conversations, if you like what we're all about here at Up My Hockey and, and the, uh, the conversations that we're having, the topics that we're covering, please uh, do what you can to share the podcast. That's how you can help uh, me promote this. That's how you can help spread the word of what we got going on here, the amazing guests that we have, and the topics that we cover. So rate it on your platform that you're listening to this on, uh, share it in your social media group, uh, talk about it with your friends and that's the way to get the word out here and get this awesome material out to out to more and more people so once again thank you so much for listening and for taking the time to to share and promote the podcast now let's get back to jared bedner right and and with coaching like there is you know even at the developmental level meaning like the ECHL or the ahl um guys that win there move on and so it's like it's interesting because like you are supposed to be developing players sometimes developing players means that they're going to make mistakes and you have to run with some young guys and you have to do these types of things which maybe doesn't isn't conducive to championships but if you do get championships players included they get opportunities right so if you can get them to come together get opportunities so you so you win and you get an opportunity and um I was a little bit surprised, but maybe not, that, that it was an assistant job that you decided to leave for. Uh, can you walk through yeah. the mindset of that and, and, how, that, and yeah. how that works out of you? You said you loved South Carolina where you were. Obviously, you just won a championship. Yeah. Um, your family's there, and now you're moving on. And that must have been a big choice for you.
0: Yeah, it was. It was really big, and I'll tell you why. Because at this point, I've got a couple young ones um, And my wife's working. You don't make a ton of money coaching in the ECHL. And that was home. We had built a house and and we'd been there forever. And at the time, I was informed. There was only a handful of coaches leaving the ECHL um, going to the American Hockey League. It wasn't easy to get out of there as a player. And it wasn't easy to get out of there as as a coach at the time. Right. And you're seeing more and more, like, the league gain more respect because they work closer now with the NHL team, so they get right. to know you, so they filter you up. And um, But there there wasn't many coaches leaving the ECHL as a head coach and going to the American League as a head coach. Like, Bruce Boudreaux was a guy that did it. Um, but Boy there was a handful. For. Yeah, there was a handful of, of guys um, making the jump, but not always head coach to head coach. It was just – that was the natural progression at the time. Go as an assistant. Um, and so that's, that's what I did. I, I got Jim uh, Playfair. He was head coach the Calgary Flames. Abbotsford was starting a new uh, Calgary affiliation, brand new team in there. I wanted to learn from a guy that had coached in the NHL, a guy that I felt like I clicked with right away from a personality standpoint, had a lot to learn. Um, went there as an assistant coach. And did the, you interview big, for that? Yeah, I did. Yeah. So
1: you had to interview for that. So Jim then is, and Jim was re, was responsible for his putting together his own staff.
0: He was, yeah. Gotcha. And
1: your name comes across his radar.
0: Yeah. And I just, mutual friends kind of put us together and it, we just, we just kind of clicked right away. And And the biggest part of that decision for me was, there's sacrifice involved with the move right so i i ended up actually doing seven and maybe eight years away from my family so they stayed in charleston because i'd said like i'm not like this is just temporary like i'm gonna put in two or three years as an assistant and then i got it i want to be a head coach like that's what i want to do i had been five years assistant and two as a head guy and i said i want to be i want to be a head guy that's the path i'm gonna take so they pack up and move from South Carolina to go to Abbotsford which is now Canada my wife's American like there's a lot involved um as an assistant coach in the American League again you're not getting rich so you're you know there's financial things going on and we just thought I had moved my whole life you know so I said you know let's just leave the kids stay here I'll leave for seven eight months come back it'll be tough but it's just a couple of years once I get a head job sign a three-year deal someplace or whatever you you can come you know right. and, and, and or, or if you want to come you can come and we just weren't kind of making the decisions you know right it's kind of flying by the seat of our pants we didn't know yeah. and uh which turns out a year later I got a head coaching job in Peoria in the American Hockey League so it's good <laughs> I'm glad I didn't pick everyone up for seven months you know right but there was a lot of movement there in my first few years in the American League. So they stayed, they didn't, my family actually didn't join me full time. Um, it was easier in some places to visit more and have them come for the holidays and me get home and um, right. do that. But they didn't, they didn't actually come until I, I got the job in Colorado.
1: Wow. That's crazy. And like, yeah. There's always a story there too, right? Especially if you're married and you have kids like the, you know, the supports and the understanding and the, you know, the trust that goes along with, with that, you know, and, and how hard it must be as a dad to, to make that choice to leave too. You know, like, you know that you're not around there all the time I mean, but there's there's sacrifice involved in in, in success sometimes and, and i'm sure that was one of the you know as you've talked about one of the big sacrifices of of chasing that dream at that time right to be able to go and to abbotsford which couldn't be farther away from where, from it's where you're it's as far leaving, as you right? can
0: get absolutely yeah. it's yeah. The opposite ends of the continent that's yeah. the thing and you know like that you like my wife, they, they do all the heavy lifting. Like, I just go coach, right? And then yeah. she's got a job, two kids, grinding, you know. So, people make a lot of sacrifices, give you a lot of opportunity to pursue your dreams, you know. And, yeah. and you know, that's why it's nice to get everyone together here now and sort of enjoy, like, you know, how good the NHL is. It's the best league in the world, and it's it, you get treated like gold. There's so many you know, fun things that come along with being a player or a coach in the NHL. It's nice to have the family together and be able to enjoy some of those things after after grinding for so long.
1: 100%. So, yeah, I mean, how does that – I mean – it's a short, term. I mean, you were assistant for one year, You mean, under Jim, what was your mindset like going in there? You, you just, you know, are you just trying to do everything you can obviously to help him and to grow or like, because I, I just find that yeah. interesting from the player standpoint, I, I know what it's like to be on the third line and want to be on the second line, you know, but I don't really yeah. know what it's like to be an assistant coach yet want to be the, the head coach. I mean, how, how do you, how do you keep your own goals in mind um, while fulfilling the role that, that you're in right, right at that time?
0: Yeah, for I didn't really have a problem with that. Like my thing was like I'm gonna do what I can. I know what my job is. I'm doing it to the best of my ability, and I was just trying like to to help the team win. And then just just learning as much as I could about how he handled it, how the process works. So big, you know, which is pro, which was would have been my demise in in Peoria. I was a head coach, and I was really. You know, Jim had a different relationship with, say, Daryl. They had worked together forever. They'd coached together. He went down, and he was like, you're running the, the team. And I was used to um, doing the same thing in South Carolina for a long time. But then you get to the American League, and that's not the way it works. You know, the, the you got a general manager, assistant general manager, development guy, and everyone is like – they they have their input on the way you deploy your players, where you coat, and and that was all foreign to me because that wasn't the way it was in South Carolina. It wasn't way the way it was even in Abbotsford for us. And then, you know, like Jim got direction from Daryl, and and then you had freedom to and, and to to do what he felt was right for the players development and their team. And, and then things kind of change and it kind of comes up on you fast and that, you know, I probably, you know, wasn't the best that could be. I learned a lot from that experience in Peoria, which then helped, um, you know makes me make some changes to try and have some success later on
1: cool yeah so how did that how did that job come about do you just another you came on the radar there a job came open and you threw your hat in the ring or did they contact you how does that world work
0: like any like anything else it's connections i didn't have a connection to peoria um but Jim did. He had worked with um, Doug Armstrong already, and I, I guess they got talk. and They were looking for a coach. Jim recommended me. We went and talked, and um, then they started doing their homework. and I got and I got hired in there. Kevin awesome. McDonald and yeah, and uh, it didn't work out. But it's again, I think that was really good for for me, you know, for later for following right. years and um, that's a good that's every a good story every relationship like that, right? is different you know so yeah
1: 100 yeah. percent, and and good for jim and good for you because like those connections matter and i've said that i mean it's amazing how many guys you talk to in their stories and it's like you say connections and but the connections are you doing a good job for somebody somewhere and earn the trust of somebody, you know, like that, that helps, right? So you doing, you doing a good job for, for Jim there in Abbotsford, he wants to go to bat for you and make try and give you an opportunity to do what you want to do, which is be a head coach. And and he connected that dot for you and you stepped into it. Like that's, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. And then you just try and pay it forward, you know, like everyone yeah. that works for you, try to get them in the role that they want to be in and that they can have success in and then whatever yeah. you know guys that work for you with you, you you again the more success you have the more opportunities that open up for yeah. everybody
1: did you get fired you, you say it didn't go well do you just mean like you didn't like the record did you actually get fired from that from that job
0: I got let go from that job after my second year we had a, a tough finish to the season and uh, they let me go which which then so we touched on the minus 82 year as a player and going, oh gosh. So now I stepped into my first AHL head coaching job and I get fired a couple of years after. And on paper, there was eight or nine American League jobs open. And I had one of the confidential directories and I, you know, I don't have an agent and I don't, I'm looking at general managers and I don't know any of them because I didn't play at that level where I'm running in the, same circles as most of these guys, you know? So I just would call, you know, Philadelphia. I called Paul Holmgren, who was a GM, and said, hey, I see you have an AHL job open and he said, "Actually, we've already filled it. We just haven't announced it." Okay, thanks. So, you know, and, and and that's the way it went. Everyone everyone was full. So yeah. um, I stepped back and became an assistant coach again with an old teammate of yours Brad Larson, who yeah. hired me to 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 uh, coach in in um, Columbus's organization as an assistant coach. So I stepped back for a couple of years, three years, I think, for and and was an assistant again. So how did
1: that, so, I mean, which that just seemed like a, uh almost like a little dream team there, right? You got Lars as the head job and you're, you're assistant with Nolan Pratt and, and Nolan's with yeah. you now. Nolan's also an ex-teammate yeah. of mine. Um, yeah. Like that's really wild actually. Three ex-teammates of mine all together, and, <laughs> you know, working, working the AHL. How how did, like, how did that come to fruition? Was it you, you, you were picking up the phone, trying to get a head job, head jobs weren't full, and then is that when the phone starts ringing for you? Like, so Brad's trying to fill up his guys and he's and he's interviewing you? Or or did you contact Brad?
0: Yeah, I reached out to them. I think, like, um, my assistant GM now, actually in Colorado, Chris McFarland, was the assistant GM for Columbus and was running the American League team. And I had dealt with them with players on call-ups and send-downs from the ECHL. And um, we had talked. So I think that they kind of he might've put my name into Brad and then Brad was like, yeah, I'll talk to him, you know, and then we kind of hit it off and he hired me, but Brad had, had the say final say with, uh, with Chris and, and who they were going to hire. And uh, it was a good fit. Cause Lars was, um, you know, had been coaching as an assistant for a couple of years and, you know, we're, you know, similar age and, you know, just similar philosophies and, you know so we the three of us hit it off right away and and uh yeah so I was there until as an assistant with him until again I wasn't in a rush to get anywhere like I think you you want to focus on the job you're doing and do the best job you can and, and people will take notice and give you an opportunity or you can search out an opportunity that that you want and he got, got the call and got uh assistant coaching job in Columbus. He's still there. And I took over as the head guy for a couple of years.
1: Right. I remember we talked at the coaches conference there or whatever, it almost a year and a half ago now. And, and uh, it just sounds like that was just a ton of fun, that crew, right? Like the, like the, yeah. the, the time being together, like being in the coaches room together. And, you know, like you said, everyone's kind of the same age uh, from the West. You guys are all from the West had similar experiences there. And that must've just been a real good time. And, um, you know, which is interesting because like you said, everything happens for a reason sometimes too, right? I mean, like maybe that was exactly what you needed coming out of Peoria, um, you know, not not having the experience you wanted. You said you had some lessons that you're able to take with you there. And now you end up in this with this little trio of of young guys who are driven and want to be the best coaches they can be and, and probably feeding off each other the whole time.
0: For sure. And and you know the guy Everyone's got to be good at what they do but you have to be able to get along as you think about the time that you spend with your coaches right there mm-hmm. has to be a sort of a chemistry there and a fit there and, and you learn that and um, you know we all had a lot of responsibility we all had our input it was just basically bouncing ideas off of each other and well, you know, Lars carried the hammer and we just supported him in that. But we, every, you want to be involved in the decision making. That's how you learn. and we, we experiment and we had some really good teams there. And a lot of those guys that, that we coach here are all playing for Lars now in, in, in Columbus.
1: Yeah. And that's is that is that super rewarding as a coach, especially in that system, like to feel like you've done a good job, regardless of maybe the wins, losses, that these guys are moving on and, and getting to where they want to be?
0: Oh absolutely. it when you see them guys go up and then sort of carve out that um, carve out their role and and you you talk to the coaches you're coaching the minors now they're playing in the NHL and you're talking to the coaches and and you you get talking about where these guys have improved and and how good they are doing this or that and you you just remember stressing all that stuff to them when they're in the minors and the consistency part of it and it's it's really it, it it is very rewarding. That's I mean that's the number one reason. The com the competitive part of it is one thing, wanting to win and be in, in the fire and um you know as a coach, that's one thing. And then but the reward as big a reward is for sure seeing you know these guys grind and and work to sort of achieve their goals and the cargo to roll and then to seem to be able to do that and get there those first few years when you see them in the NHL it's, it's awesome. that is is awesome especially getting cool. back with them and talking with them uh, in passing in the hallways and the arenas and stuff it's it's pretty cool that is cool you
1: mean I guess you kind of do you do that now on a different level you mean being the head guy you want guys within your organization at the at the top level of the organization to now improve and step into you know their their greatest abilities right into their potential Um, but as as the as the guy in the AHL when you were there for a while since we're talking on there like what what were these players, these players that did go on and have success, these players that did kind of understand what you were, what you were putting down, you know, like what, what what do you see in those guys that were able to make that leap and able to make that step? Is there any intangibles you can point to where, did you even maybe see it beforehand? Like, okay, this guy's got what it takes. Like maybe he's going to, he's going to be able to, to make the step.
0: Yeah. Well, I think, I think where a lot of the adjustment comes in um, in the American league is the guys that you're getting there, those draft picks, were all the best players on on their teams their whole lives, you know, and and impactful players even in major junior college, and they come in. Um, I find the adjustment number one to be mostly they got to get a little bigger, stronger, faster, right? Like that's that's just the way it is going, and and very interesting how hard these guys work all the time. So when they come into you, you just see the change in their body from their first year to the second year to their third year. And you're like, Yo, this guy's a man. Now he's ready to go. And, and, and that's why it takes a little bit of time and, and, and players are getting after it younger and younger on the, on the physical development from so the day they get drafted. It just takes time. It takes those off seasons to put on size and strength, learn how to eat right, how to take care of yourself, how to do all those things. On the mental side of it, it's an acceptance that like they they're no different than like I said, Oh, I thought it was gonna go from junior to the American League. Then it's just that's just the way it's gonna go. Yeah. And they have this timeline where it's a rush and they start comparing themselves to other players. Well, why is player X going to the NHL in Florida? I'm, I was as good as him in junior. Why ain't I going in Columbus, you know? And that's not the way it works. Like it's, so you have to, there's gotta be some trust involved. Like the organization has to talk to the player and say, this is where we see you, you know, and then uh, an accountability by the player to understand, okay, they're right. Like this is the work they want me to do. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability and then hopefully get this crack Next year, or eighteen months from now, or three months from now, whatever it is, right. and and it, it ends up being about consistency and, and trustworthiness, and they all have the ability to play in the NHL, and it's the guys that kind of stay after it stick with it and just fine tune their game and become more responsible. It seems like the guys that, that get to the next level. So that drive. Um, the passion to to be consistent and just sort of do whatever it takes to get there is is something that you see in a lot of guys that kind of pushes them over the top.
1: Yeah, you say tr- you you've said trust a couple times and 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 to me that that's my ears perk up when I hear that because I think that's as a, as a player and I mean I'm coaching now too obviously not at your level but I'm coaching I'm coaching young kids I'm coaching kids individually um, to try and get to the, the next le- level and be the best that they can be. And and I think that word is just so imperative. Uh, and I'd like you to maybe talk about that a little bit more, just because I think as a player, when you feel that that head guy, uh, the coach or even assistant coach or whatever role that is, like they really got your back, you know, like they really want you to succeed and they really, like your best interest is whats is what they're trying to get. And maybe not like some ulterior motive of, You know what I mean? Like fill a spot somewhere within the organization or whatever. You're getting lip service. Like I think if you can get that trust factor, that buy-in that this guy cares about me and he wants, now it's way easier to follow through on whatever that message is. You know what I mean? Like do you find that as a coach? Like when you get that trust and guys believe in you, now you got that little extra from them and and they go to bat?
0: Oh, for sure. Uh, Happy players are productive players, right? That's so and when you're in the American League it's almost a little bit easier because they're one step away from their goal okay your 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 interests are aligned the the organization general manager of the NHL team wants like they I have to develop player x y and z and you're spending time with x y all of them really but there's certain guys that they're keying on their top draft picks. Like, how is he doing? So you're spending time with them. And they know that you're trying to get an NHL, you know? And if they're taking it serious, they're trying to listen, listen to what you're saying and they're working on their game and they're trying to implement things that you're talking about in their game. And when they don't, when they don't put the commitment in, then they have to be, there has to be some accountability there. But there, I find the players now are so driven and committed and like, and every once in a while, a guy will waver off and you got to snap back in line and to, to keep this upward trajectory going. Uh, So, you know, that, that's the easier part. When you, you went once, now the difference is you get an NHL and you got young guys coming in, and again they've been the best players on 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 the team their whole lives, and they come in and now they're again they're like, well, I'm, you know, just for example, they want to play on the power play or they want, you know, but there's the the reality of it is now you have to it's about it's about winning it's not about me developing you you're here that's part of it to make our team better but it's about winning it's a results oriented league and and you have you have to beat someone out of that spot or show the potential to beat them out of that spot for us to use you there otherwise yeah. you have to be patient for an injury or or when this guy's struggling we'll try to get you in there you have to make the most of the opportunities but they could be you know long time in between is there's, there's no real, you know, direct immediate result that I can offer you if you, you know, you know, yeah. so there's a, a level of trust and patience in there. Yeah. And and players are very communicative, uh, communicative now. Like they want to, if that's where whatever that would. you have to, you have to, they want to talk to you and you have to talk with them and try and, uh, stick to, um, the plan that you set out for them in the NHL, right. you have to. You, if they if they say, "Well, if I play real good, can I get some of this?" and you're like, "Yeah," and then they, they play real well, and two weeks later, you haven't them given them an opportunity someplace, they'll come back and ask you about ask you about it. You right. know, that's so great. You, I think greater greater
1: accountability, and I think, I mean, you've seen it as a player. I think that's been one of the biggest evolutions within the coaching realm uh, of you know that that communication, that, that buy-in, right. It's not an us versus them really anymore. It's an us together, right. you know, doing things. And, and, and I think you said it beautifully there. Like you, there's an accountability on both sides. I mean, if the player asks the question, he's going to get an answer, right. And, and now he's going to have to deliver on that and there's accountability there. And, and if you kind of gave him this idea or, a, you know, promise is the wrong word, but a suggestion of what right. would happen if he does do this uh, you're accountable to that too. So, I mean, I, I think that's a, that's a good way to operate personally.
0: Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's how it. it's checks and balances. It's how everything yeah. stays, you know, things move forward, you know, and and that's why you just, you know, I try to just shoot my players straight and, you know, you try to get it. There, there's, there's only so much ice time and that's what they're trying to earn opportunity and ice time. They're in the NHL, the guys that, the, but they, they're, they're competitive guys. They want to play more. They want to have a bigger impact. And, and that, and that, so it, everything ends up you know everything is earned the, it's not just given away and it's just being able to that's where the really good coaches they recognize it they they they, they they're so fine tuned in in how they deploy their ice time and um you know how they get the most out of their players it's you know there's this, definitely a science to it and the guys That's that the biggest success, chip right yeah exactly
1: almost i mean is there another chip like it's it's the it's almost the only chip isn't it like yeah they're they're all (laughs) wanting it right and like that's really what what you how you earn it how you give it to them how you show them right yeah no that's true um so let's i want to get into colorado uh for sure i mean so you end up winning another championship with lake erie um yeah which which was looked like it must have been an amazing season like i I dug in there a little bit you mean you're leading. Your leading point guy that year had like what forty eight points I think or something and and yeah. in in like seventy games and you guys won a championship like was it just unbelievable goaltending I saw the names on your goaltending list there like how did you guys go about constructing yeah. that that championship
0: so incredible team that that was an incredible team um, just the right that that team had been building together for a couple years. Um, Lots of young draft picks that stepped in and played um, major roles for us in some skill positions that like we were kind of spread out all over, all over the place. With what our draft picks did for us, um, goal tending was good. Leadership was was um, incredible. Uh, guys that are now coaching in the NHL. Uh, Ryan Craig was our captain. He's an assistant coach in Vegas, and just the the. The development of our young players over two years to kind of step in into the roles they did that year, that was sort of their peak. And then a bunch of them ended up going to Columbus after we won and are still there. Um, and we weren't really getting talked about a lot during the season. There was some real powerhouse teams uh, out west and out east. And we started to come along. Second half of the year, we put this run together at the end of the year, and um, you know we we had a breakdown in a playoff game that cost us one or two games there, yep. or we could have we 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 were we were this close to to sweeping the entire playoffs. It That's was unbelievable. Uh, it was crazy. It was a crazy uh, group of guys, highly driven, um, self motivated guys that held each other accountable and that leadership within the room, it was just like so focused and the buy-in from all the young guys to like do the right things. was, it was incredible. That's awesome. it was, it was, yeah.
1: That's super yeah. cool. And nothing, nothing like winning to bring guys together too. Right. And to make no. it memorable and make it special. Like what a run. I still don't get the, like, how did you guys score goals? Like, like, like that's I've never seen that on a championship team before. Your top guy had like a half a point a game. Like it was just, yeah. that, it was that spread out. It was that deep or what?
0: Yeah, it was, it was, you know, we just didn't have, um, we just didn't have that superstar power, but we had, we were deep through, it's almost like we had four second lines, Right. you know, and Everyone could play, and then our power play was good enough. Our penalty kill, the, you know, the, the special teams, uh, our commitment to check and just the way it was just like didn't matter who was going on the ice. Everyone just played the same way, you know, re- really good in our structure, just highly committed to the way we wanted to play. That, was, mo- that was the most rewarding. Uh, year, but, you know, like I've won two championships as a coach. And they're both a little bit different. My first one in South Carolina that second year, that was so rewarding because when you're coaching down there, you're the general manager. So I'm coming to you as a player and I'm saying, no, you got to come to South Carolina. You know, this is what we're going to be like. And this is what it's like to play here. And, and you've got five other offers. And then you choose to come to come play for us there. Yeah. And I'm the guy that's selling you that. To win a year or two later is so rewarding because you can just see all those guys and how happy they are that they've come, and yeah. a lot of them live down there, so those are like life changing decisions that you had a, had an impact on
1: yeah
0: and then in the american league it's to to win that year and and the togetherness of our group is sort of everything <laughs> I ever imagined. It's what I remember from the championships when I played, this sort of core group that was so together. We, the, the the inclusiveness of the group was amazing. And then to win, and then within a couple months to see eight, nine guys go to Columbus and be playing there the next year was, was awesome because you're selling it. You just keep doing it. You're going to play in the NHL. You're going to play for, we will win, and you will play in Columbus. And then when you... You you know that's what you're hoping for, right? And then when when it happens, it's just it's just extremely rewarding for so to see all those guys go and to get, um, to to just talk with all those players that played for me out here is amazing.
1: That is so cool. Um, you keep saying the players, right? That the players were just so committed and they were they held each other accountable and they were so tight as a group. Like, uh, there is there is an element of of I think organic there's an organic element to that with teams sometimes, but like you, you, yeah. you've removed yourself from this process, maybe intentionally, maybe humbly. Um, but like as a coach, you mean you're involved in that. Like how, how do you, how did you go about building that and 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 encouraging them to, to, to believe in that?
0: Yeah, I, that's a really tough question. The reason I removed myself from it is like, I, number one i just try to be myself right i have a picture of the way that i'm convinced that our team has to do things in order to have success so it, I, I i i review it in my head like that's i just see this is what we have to do this is how good this guy has to be and this guy and this is the roles they have to play and you you obviously you're open to to changing some of those things but at some point it's all like i've had horrible seasons where I feel like I've taught the exact same things as championship seasons that I've had. Okay. It ultimately comes down to like, once you get the personnel, it, it becomes the mental part of it, the buy-in, the consistency, the drive, the passion, right. And then it's, you got it. There's an element of luck that has to come together for, you know, and I just felt like I coached the same things a year before. Yeah, you're going to make, you're going to learn and you're going to make some adjustments, but the, the, the basis of my mindset and the foundation was the same and we didn't have success, but as the, the, just that buy-in puts your team over the top because it's done right every time, all the time. And if it wasn't, everyone knows it. And, you know, you try and reflect on it and, well, how did you handle the accountability way better this year than that year? And it it feels the same, but you've obviously done something better on the championship years. And to me, it that that's mostly players. It's not it's not the coaching staff doing that. It's, right. Well maybe there's
1: momentum to it too, right? Because it kind sure. of you know, the, the, the more consistent you are with the message. Right. And and now you said, you mean, if you do have this vision and this idea of what's right and you don't waver from that. So it's not like you come back the next year and you're reinventing the wheel on them. You know, like they're hearing right. the same thing again. Like maybe that becomes part of it. You know, like after you won that, you mean you, you, that was when you got your opportunity in the NHL and, Again, a championship rewards uh, promotion, right? It's amazing how that happens. I mean, so winning does matter, bringing people together. You said those, those guys graduated these uh, to Columbus, and now you graduate to, to Denver. Um, what? But you graduated into in a horrific season. Right. You mean like that was, that was a tough year. I mean, and it almost, it's kind of interesting now going through your history that, I mean, this is kind of a little bit of history repeating itself, right? This new league, this new level. And it's like, Oh, here we go. Like, how, how was that? Now you can look back on that, you know, a few years
0: later and and review that first season. What was that all about for you? So that was, that was scary. That, that, like, as that season started to progress, um, I held on to a few things closely, which I'll touch on to a minute in a minute but that was the scariest point of my professional career playing or or coaching because as a player western hockey league doing good come to the chl minus 82 win 14 games you're just you're as a player especially a young guy you're like i'm gonna control what i can control i'm gonna be in shape i'm gonna work i'm not gonna quit i'm i'm gonna like you know go before practice after practice you do what you gotta do because you're gonna get another opportunity the next year like I'm a young kid like I can go I'm confident that as a player taking care of myself that I could go make a hockey team and play on a good team right but as a coach there's so many things that that you're you're trying to control and and the opportunity isn't as easy you were I worked my whole life basically as a coach to get an NHL opportunity. And like I talked about, I would felt like I was I put myself in a position where I could go and have success and stay, not just go for the cup of coffee and come back. Right. Well the NHL is not a forgiving league, right? So it's about winning and to go through I think it's the worst season um post uh, expansion. Uh, of an NHL team, I thought I was like going to get punted, and then maybe my NHL uh, dream or coaching career could be done. You don't right. know when another opportunity is going to come. I could be in the minors again forever and, and never get another opportunity. Right. Or could you see it happen? Years, you know, it happens, yeah, it it happens <laughs> yeah. all the time. Yeah. Um, so I held onto a couple of things. And one of them was I came into camp late we we um we put together a plan. We get the other coaches They came in right away and we started talking and grinding and we had a great training camp. Uh exhibition, as we all know, doesn't mean anything. I think we went undefeated in exhibition, like six or seven and oh. We start regular season and um we play out I think we were nine nine and and two at a point and then we had some injury troubles like we weren't the deepest team so we lost a, a top defenseman in in johnson and we lost our goalie in varlamov in um who was had been like you know a, had a huge impact on the team's success in the previous years and was right. hitting his prime and we lost those guys for basically the year and, and we never recovered we 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 at nine and we only won what was it 22 games 20, yeah. 22 games so we played another 60 games and only um you know won another 13 so it was tough it was scary um but joe gave me the opportunity to come back and from that point it was about getting younger faster you know, getting the team back to playing the way this exciting brand of hockey on her toes, that it, it, basically the way they had played a dynamic offensive team, the way they had played um, when they won their cups right. when, when Joe was playing.
1: When we talk about trust again, though. I mean, there's some trust, right, from Joe. and And like during that season, it's not going how you envisioned it at all, right? It's not going how probably yeah. Joe envisioned it at all um you're struggling you you you're hanging on essentially right wondering what your future is going to hold like how was that with joe was he was he reassuring during that time or is it is it not like that at that level or like how is the personal relationship there with you were you looking over your shoulder or were you feeling relatively okay with where you were at
0: i'll i'll be honest with you i was feeling okay with where i was at because I just told myself, like, it's it's not in my control, really, the, the decision that Joe had to bring me back or not. Like, I, you know, you worry about it. and You're like, oh, God, this is, you know, what's going to happen? But I just said to myself, again, like, I'm going to do the best job that I can do to get our team prepared, to adjust if we could, you know, like, and I just, we, there was a lot of things that we you know, obviously I didn't do a good enough job, but there was just things that the the league is so tough that if you're just lacking, you know, like you're just lacking a little bit of scoring, you could lose 51 goal games and, (laughs) and end up with 30 wins. It's just, there's no nights off. And, and that we felt like, or I felt like that's a little bit where we were at. Like even if guys had the right intentions, Um, that we're just missing that little added push to win games. The message from Joe was, these are our core guys, Landis, God, McKinnon, Ratton, and, you know, Barry. Let's make sure we focus on, this is going to be a tough year, continues to be a tough year, but let's focus on what these guys need to do in order to um, have success quickly next year and and like just keep coaching keep grinding yeah i i I promised him i would do that and we just kept trying to talk about things we need why isn't this working lots of dialogue and and when he gave me the opportunity to come back we the the next year we were young one of the youngest if not the youngest teams in the league and they had a set in preseason polls to finish for like 70 points or whatever. And we went to 95 and made the playoffs. It was, an, it was a fun year, no pressure on the, on the players, you know, like just going and having fun and, and all of our older core group had left and the guys, the Nate McKinnons of our team, Landed So they, they really stepped up in the leadership role and became their team. It was a, it was a necessary turnover. Um, we had great guys the year before and great leader, Jerome McGinley. It just, you know, the, the the leadership needed to go to our young guys and they were stepping into the prime years of their career and, they, right. and they've been awesome since.
1: That actually brings up an interesting question for me because th- that second year, so you get to come back. Uh, the expectations, obviously, from Joe in that first year, maybe, I mean, you, you guys didn't reach them collectively as a team, but obviously it wasn't like you guys thought you were going to make the playoffs. And once you sort of realized where you're at, it was like, okay, let's focus on, on this. Like, let's make this be the, be the win this year, and which you guys did. Um, but then you come back and you're now in your second year, you have to deal with a public trade, um, request by, you know, one of your core guys or supposedly core guys. Um, how did you deal with that? Not only on a personal level with Duchesne himself, but also with the other guys within that room there that are, you know, trying to still be avalanche and trying to still win games for the avalanche.
0: Yeah. You know what? It was relatively easy, I think, because, um, that that might have weighed on the players a little bit more than me but i thought um matt was really professional like if he you- the fit isn't right for everyone all the time. I don't I don't take that personal for me or for the avalanche or or matt. I don't look you know, I don't look negatively upon Matt or any other player because they feel like they want to go someplace else or it's better for them, you know. I think you you, you have to do what's best for yourself while being committed to your team so if you feel like it's a better fit someplace else then then go do that I'll as a general manager and they said I would grant that and you know whether it's a lot you know there's addition by subtraction there's you know different ways you can look at it Matt was a really good player and Joe was going to do what was best for the team in accommodating that and and hopefully it works on both sides of it, right. you know. Well, it obviously we, did,
1: we, right? So yeah, yeah. And you know, and you guys were super successful that year. Um, yeah. But t- just a quick question: I mean, uh, coaching. So you're you're a rookie coach in the NHL. Uh, don't know exactly how old you would have been that year, but you have Joe McGrinlan again on that team, which I wrote down. Who you know he yeah. was what six five years younger than you, right? H- had a yeah. fourteen hundred game NHL career, Hall of Famer. Yeah. Um, like how was that experience? And then, like with Jerome leaving, you said there was this turnover, and now Nate McKinnon, who's like a twenty-two-year-old guy, is your is your like your leader, or get, or Landis Cogley, these younger guys yeah. now. Did you find it, uh, it had to be different relating to both of them? But like, how was that having like the Jerome, and then having like this younger echelon then come up the next year?
0: Well, I I thought those guys my first year were awesome. It, it was just a uh Francois Beauchemin, Jerome McGinlaw, uh Feder Tutin to name a few, like these guys are just they so much experience and knowledge and like leadership abilities. Um but like like anything it's when it's not going well and you're the the you know the the captain of the ship it's that's stressful. Like you want it to go well for those for those guys. I thought they handled it great. They were all at different points of their careers. Like some went on to play another year or not. Like a lot of guys sort of retire and come to end their contracts. There's uncertainty there. I learned a lot from those guys just by sort of observing it, but it was a tough year. It was a frustrating year, not just for me, but more so for the players, you know, they're, they're uh, rounding out their careers and it's just not going well for them personally or for the team. And it just gets frustrating, you know, but, uh, I have a lot of respect for those guys and they kept playing hard during the year. It's just, we just weren't quite good enough to get any kind of traction. Um, The, the the following year, you know, like now Nathan McKinnon only being twenty two, but he'd already played in the league four years and and and, and Landy stepping into his leadership role and the guy got Nico Rant and Tyson Berry and, and that that's just the new core. Everyone kinda knew it was going that way and we had to fill in with some of our draft picks and some free agents around it and um so to hand that over to our guys, I was extremely happy with the way they handled it took ownership of it um and the young the young guys that we brought in gave that younger core uh excitement you know they 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 saw that we changed changed a lot i think we got 12 new players i think my second year which is that's over half the team you know which is crazy just think of that turnover but it was exciting They, they fed off each other and we didn't have a lot of pressure like I said uh to succeed that year after the the previous year and and then we just were kind of the underdogs just going and having fun and it's it's when you're loose like that and free and you have a little bit of confidence it was it was a it was a I was proud of that group to get 95 points and and play Nashville the six games in the playoffs. It was, it was a, it was a fun team to coach.
1: Yeah, that's great. Um, Are are you as the head guy in, in Colorado when it comes to camp and architecting that team, you know, obviously I know like the draft picks and there's the development side and, and and the GM is involved, but are are you picking, are you picking the guys that are on that team? Is that, is that fall on your shoulders? Who's going where? No, no,
0: we, we have, we have dialogue that like we talk, Joe, Joe and I and his staff and my staff talk about a lot of things like our views, their views, but I, I, that's, I've coached the players that he gives me, you know what I mean? That's, and I, uh, that's the way I like it. Like we'll talk about call up guys like doing need a winger center, how you want to use them. Have you thought about moving this guy here? Like there's lots of dialogue. Um, but, yeah, I'm the coach. He's the general manager. He, he They they put the team together. Um, and, like, I just – I coach players I have. And I have an easier time compartmentalizing that, you know. Like, people, you know, in the media, you'll get injuries and players will be out and everyone wants to talk about the injured guys because it could be your star players or whatever. But, like, that's – I don't have any control over that, so I right. don't spend two seconds even worrying about that. This is our roster, and this is how we're going to do it, and, and we're going right. to go play. Like I'm focused on that, not all the other stuff, yeah. which, in in a sense, makes my job easier. You know, some of the I don't worry about the things that are, aren't in my control because I got enough to do with the things that are. Right.
1: No, for sure. I mean, I think that's great. I mean, that's a great way to look at it too. I mean, control what you can. I was just wondering from the relationship side, because you know, I mean, there is, there is times as a player where you're going to have a coach that maybe you don't feel like you get along with, or maybe the coach, you know, you feel like the coach doesn't like you and, and whether it's perceived or real, you know, if, as a coach, I mean, do, do you have control over whether that guy's on your, on your bench or not, you know, or, or do you, can you bring up somebody that, you know, you think that you would have a better fit with?
0: Oh, yeah, well, I, I have the the a lot of say in how we deploy our players, you know, like how much ice time I give this guy or that. Yeah. And, and like I said before, like my goal, is, like, happy players are productive players, right? So it, as long as that's earned, and there can be some opportunity given to see if a guy will take a step and you know, however you manage it um, – but what we try to do here is we try to keep that open door policy. Like if, if I'm just not seeing eye to eye with player X, then go talk to Joe and it's, you know, see if he sees it different or like me, cause I could be wrong, you know, and I'll talk to my assistant coaches and the staff and, and we let's, come back in and talk a few days later but right. if Joe sees it different then he'll come talk to me or all three of us can sit down but like this is what the information I'm giving you and this is what I'm seeing and what I'm not seeing and you know and and then we, we can we can come around it just so because everyone has to be on the same page in order to have success so there's no yeah. if guys are unhappy or, or um, I'm not doing something correctly and sometimes the players are right like we're we're not perfect as coaches you know it's good to get a little outside perspective or another opinion especially from a guy like joe i mean you yeah. know with his background and stuff it's he has a lot of insight and and chris is assistant general manager at craig billington everyone has a little bit different way of looking at things so the more you kind of talk about and usually you can come up with a solution for a lot of things
1: there's always a solution right there is yeah. there's always a solution i think that's great I and mean, i love that you even admit that i mean because it's so right to admit it we get caught in our habits we get caught in our some our perceptions sometimes and you know sometimes there's a lot of guys too as a coach i mean it's amazing coaching minor hockey right now it's like there's a lot yeah. of it's on that bench right like to, to really know how each guy is like operating at that particular point and to not have a bias from before, like where you've earned trust and like to reward that guy in the moment. It's, I mean, it's a, it's definitely a talent and a skill to recognize that and we don't always get it right. So I can understand where you're, sure. where you're coming from there. Um, we'd love to fast forward a little bit to the end of that year. I mean, you get nominated for the Jack Adams, like, was that just like a holy shit moment? Like, you know, you've, you've, you've gone from this, you know, this whole journey, right? And I love the journey. And now you're here and you've had this 47-point increase or whatever it is. And and, and you're nominated among the, among your peers as being one of the best best coaches in the NHL. Like, how, how did that feel?
0: Well, I mean, it's just I, – I was just so happy with the way their team played, to be honest with you. Like I said, that was such a fun year. Um, and part of that, you know, again, when the pressure's on, things tighten up, and we didn't have a lot of pressure. Um, I, I think, again, it was, the, it was the collective group. We had the, the, that new leadership group, that young core, the McKinnons, Landis, those guys just went through a year to forget. And and so did I. And so we were all in that together. So, like, that's a conscious decision every day to be like, that's not going to happen again. This is what we're going to do. And and Joe, uh, same thing, Um, implanting players, free agents, college signings, draft picks, bringing them in just to change the whole dynamic of our team and then to have it sort of snowball and gain momentum as the year went on. it it was great. So to, to get nominated for that, like I I can, every year I can just be like, now as being a coach, I look at teams and everyone's like, Oh, well, Tampa should be good. I mean, they got all these guys, but, but that's not the way it works. There's so many, there's so many teams that are so close, just the, a hair different than each other to be able to have any type of success, and sometimes just even to push it another level to make another round of playoffs or to finish with five more points or to win a division. I look and I said, There could be any. 15 10 15 coaches every year that'd be like that guy's a sh- shoe in for the coach of the year so just to get have someone say well they did a really good job there that's a big turnaround in a year was pretty rewarding just because yeah. I needed it to be in personally yeah. uh, for my mental just to prove to myself that okay what you've been doing and what you've sort of tried to learn and, and mold as you is the way you coach that it will work. And just keep working at it. You can have some success. I needed that from a mental standpoint. And I think probably if you ask them, the players that I was coaching probably needed us to have success in order to keep believing in, in myself as a coach right. that, that we can move forward and continue to grow.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, and I there has to be a parallel that you believe that you're at the right level, right? I mean, that that whole, like you've now kind of proven to yourself because I remember as a player stepping into that league, it's like, you think that you worked all your life to be there, but like, you don't quite, you're not sure, you know, am I, is this where I'm supposed to be? And like to be validated like that in your second year and to feel like, Hey, yeah, I'm in the right spot. I do belong here. Um, you know, and then to get recognized would be awesome. And then, um, as far as the next two seasons, I, mean, I don't really want to fast forward through them, but like that, like last year was super special. And like, for me, I know you've been around these guys, right? And you, you, you've watched Nathan McKinnon mature as a player and as a human being. And, and, you, you know, you're involved in that development and all these guys around him, these, these young guys that are becoming kind of before your eyes and figuring out how this league works and how to be the best that they can be in it. But I watched I watched that playoff series and my God, like I, I had no idea, like Nathan McKinnon, for instance, was, was that good. Like, uh, th- the power and, and like the, the speed and the tenacity and like this, that team was just really, really fun to watch. And then it takes uh San Jose to seven games. Like, uh, walk me through that playoff time and like how, how that whole thing is built up to that. Um, how was last year in the playoffs?
0: Yeah. So, well, it was, it was a lot of fun. Number one, like, number one is the year before we had 95 points and we got in – we had to win the last game of the year to get in. We beat St. Louis at home and got in. Um, And then last year, we – I think there was one game left when we clinched. So it was a grind the whole time. And we go into Calgary and we lose right out of the gate. And then we just, like – I thought the coaching staff did an awesome job identifying what we didn't do well, um, what we needed to do to try and win, and we sold it to the players. And there was no – that buy-in had to be immediate or or we weren't going to win. You know, yep. you're not going to drop two games right away and then try and grind your way back. And it, and it was immediate. The next game, we saw a completely different team. We resold what we what we felt like we had to do and, and, and showed our guys. And, and we were feeling really good coming out of game two. And So that adjustment was made by them right over or by us as a group. And, and the buy-in was immediate from them. And it led to success. Then we go into San Jose. And every team is a different challenge for this reason or that reason. And it had been a while since, you know, you kind of have to go from one thing to another, you know, for me and for our team. So going into that second playoff series, we come out playing like we were playing Calgary and we weren't having any success at all against San Jose. And so we identify some things again and, 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 The adjustments made by our team and the the maturity of our young team to go not be stubborn and keep trying to play the same way, to be like coaches are are on this and then they have their own ideas and then we implement it all in a short period of time. We started to have more and more success as the series went on. So I was really proud of our group for – not only the the adjustments in buy-in, but the maturity that they showed um, through the first round, and then into the second round, and 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 sort of. You know, trying to have success there, and it was close that was that re- was really close to 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 be for us being able to move on obviously end of game seven we have two or three chances at the end of the game and right um had gone through some adversity in that game with the goal called back, and Nathan leaving for a little while with an injury and then coming back out it wasn't It wasn't um the ideal game for us how we would to draw it up, but real proud of the of the team so now it's just trying to take that next step forward and you know every every year is different you can run into a first round opponent that's that's really tough this year and be out or you can try and build on that and get some success and 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 trying to get that momentum going quickly again this year will be the key to it's tough to teach
1: experience man right you mean i think they mean that and they've got that now right they've had the first round loss they've gotten into the second round got to set game seven you guys you know like i think that as a group, because you have that, that core there that you're all growing together. I mean, I just, I, I know you must be really excited about, about this season and and what's, what's to come. You know, I, I, I think uh, that addition with Kadri I mean, we didn't really talk about your current, your current lineup, but yeah. I mean, you got a little bit more, you know, a little bit more sandpaper there, you know, kind of fills out that, that side a little bit. It seems like, you know, Makar is obviously just a special, special player back there helping you out and you have, and you have, uh, you know, your core guys with Ratton and McKinnon and 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 Gab there that are all a year older and a year stronger and a year better. Like it's it's must yeah. it must be a fun group to to be around right now.
0: It is. It's been a and it's been a, a really driven group. You know, like we've had. You, you know, you, I look at our record and it's. You know, we were scratching and clawing to get in last game of the year and second last game of the year, and here we're sitting in in a real good spot and, and battling for the conference and you know first in the conference and second overall in the whole league, um, and that just to me was the step our our team took. We had a lot of injuries early. We had a lot of injuries late and our record through those times when we were missing multiple key guys, like six, seven, eight guys at a time out of our roster, really kind of showed the depth that, that Joe brought in and we needed some depth scoring up front and and just the growth of, of the consistency in which our guys uh, played with and also and also the belief that that, that we're we can win every night. Like we're not just out there seeing what happens and putting our best foot forward. That we had a, there was a, there, there was a, you know, a, a drive to us and a belief that we could win every night. And that that was our goal, and that we were going to try not to take any of those nights off. And right. and that's how you. That's the difference between scratching and clawing to get in, or or fighting for the the. Conference lead, you know. So there, there's been a lot of growth there, and and now we have to try and continue that through the through the playoffs.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, maybe we'll just wrap up with that. We've been a little bit over. Uh, I apologize for that, but my gosh, we we know how <laughs> you keep going. But I mean, with this new format, so 24 teams. Um, it just got released. you I mean a few days ago i'm I'm sure I mean the way the the media leaking stuff gets released you probably don't know too much more than any of us know other than the fact that you guys are in one of the top four spots um, yeah. and you guys play each other one time to see where the seating ends up like how, how at right now and if with what you know, how do you see yourself preparing for what's to come?
0: Yeah, well. So we know that we're going to play St. Louis, Dallas, and Vegas. And then we'll get seated in the top spots. And then I really have no idea how the other part's going, if it's getting bracketed, reseated. So we don't know anything about the other opponents. We're basically treating this like, um, you know, a training camp. We'll come back and. Our guys will have been skating a little bit before camp. We'll um, adjust how long we want to go on ice, but get back to our structure, get playing. And then to me, it's just, it's about getting our guys emotionally invested. Um, We are basic, you know, we know we can seed anywhere from one to four and we have no idea who our opponent's going to be. So we're basically taking an, the way I look at it is we're taking an 82 game Schedule and cutting it down to say, well, you're in the playoffs, but this is what you're fighting for 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 three games in playoffs. So it should be to me, if I'm a player, I'm I'm excited. It's you 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 know that that work is kind of behind us, and now we're just right into the funnest time of the year. And like to you know, seed as high as we can, and then see where the where the chips falls to who we're playing and way we go you know I think it's I think it should be easy to get emotionally invested the team that does that and and you know can get get back up to speed the quickest is gonna have the best chance of winning
1: yeah I mean I think you hit the nail on the head there I mean the emotional investment I mean the guys are gonna be they're professional and they're excited but I mean never in the history of the NHL has this happened where you I mean I don't know how long it's gonna be two months three months like without anything and then you're gonna play three games and then yeah. you're gonna start the Stanley Cup Final. Like it's it's kind of yeah. ridiculous when you think about it that way. But it's like pitter patter. Everyone's playing on the same format, and you just got to get it done, right?
0: Yeah, that's it. I think that uh, you know we all want. Everyone wants to play. Everyone wants closure. They want their opportunity at the Cup, and that you know everyone's hungry to get get it started and and take their crack at it. You know that's why you play the. 82 games is to get to this point. So without the closure or not having the, the playoffs, it just seems like, you know, like it's just, it's, it's a waste, you know, like yeah. this is, this is why you're doing it and why the fans watch it. So, you know, everyone, what's exciting about it is everyone's health. Everyone will be healthy, yeah. you know, for every team, you're going to see all the best players start out at, at the, at the most important time of the year, and get after it. So, yeah. it, I think that the intensity of these games is gonna is gonna come quickly out of nowhere, and yeah, it's players are bad. gonna real realize what it's all about. Cause you're jumping into games that. that have immediate impact on on your success in the
1: playoffs yeah no it's gonna be wild well I, I'll cut it off at that I wish you nothing but the most success it's been really fun to follow um your journey the team's journey uh it's a really fun brand of hockey to watch what, what you guys got going there you, um and your staff say hi to Nolan for me I, 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 we didn't even touch on that now he's with you there in Colorado that's awesome to see yeah. and um yeah, I think this year is going to be a special year, and for a lot of reasons, you know, and and it's going to be a memorable one for a lot of reasons too. And it, what a great year it would be to win win the whole darn thing. So, um, hopefully, hopefully you keep rolling there, Bedzy. And thanks for your time today.
0: Yeah, thanks, Pods. Really appreciate you having me on. Great talk.
1: Sweet. Um, and oh, hold on. Well, 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 time flies when you're having fun. Uh, it totally seems the way it go. I never intend for these conversations to last so long, but when you're having real conversations with real people uh, about cool topics, boy, it just seems like we can go on forever. And, and with Jared, uh, I do thank you again, if you listen to this, for your generosity, how gracious you were with your time, how open you were with your with your stories and, uh, and with your journey. And that's what it's all about here is to is to have the listeners understand that at the end of the day this is real people uh trying to do great things and what it takes for real people to do great things and and your story uh, jared's story was no different than than most of ours uh you know there there was the struggles of turning pro there was the minus 82 season uh the ups and downs with the miners and and the unsuccessful attempt at his first uh, head coaching job in the ahl and but we persevere and we move on and we learn Uh, and we're grateful for our opportunities when we do and things can work out and they've definitely worked out for jared bedner Uh, i love what he's doing there i love what he's about Uh, i love that team culture that he's creating there and it's just a pleasure to watch them and a pleasure to watch guys like jared um, be successful in this in this game that we all love so much so thank you again for listening uh what an amazing episode
0: and until next time play hard and keep your head up